Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full show times, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Frida Pauli. She's the CEO and co-founder of Pymetrics. Frida, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Pymetrics is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah, I actually grew up overseas. So my dad is Italian, my mom is British, and I grew up in Milan. Very cool. Um, and then we actually tra- traveled around a bunch of uh, different parts of Europe. Um, and then I ended up here in the US for college. Very cool. So you've went to college and, and university. What did you take and why? Um, I was an English major. Uh, and then I was also pre-med, so I was kind of one of those undecided people. Interesting. Um, and then my last year in college, I discovered neuroscience, and that was kind of what I fell in love. Um, and, you know, then it was kind of off to the races. So I became a neuroscientist after that and went and got my PhD um, and then, you know, transitioned into what I do now. But I was a bit confused in my early days of college as to what I really wanted to be um, and had life plans to be everything from a journalist to a detective, uh, to then a scientist. So interesting. So <laughs> a, lot, a lot of options. What got you interested in uh, neuroscience? You know, I have always been fascinated by people and okay. what makes people do what they do. And neuroscience was kind of this really new, um, cutting edge field that was allowing us to understand essentially like parts of the brain, why they did why, how they influence people's behavior, their personality, um, how that was all influenced by, you know, your experiences growing up, your experiences during life. So just fascination with people, honestly. Interesting. So walk me through your career. You get out of school, you work for a bit, you get your MBA, and then walk us through that journey up until Pymetrics. Sure. So again, I fell in love with neuroscience, uh, you know, kind of like my last year of college. Um, and at the time, I actually thought I was going to go to med school because, again, I was pre-med. And sure. so I thought, OK, I'm going to go to med school and be like a neurologist or something. And then I had this really bad experience of working in a lab where I was doing surgery on uh, bunny rabbits, actually. And I quit after three weeks because I just couldn't handle the blood. And that's when I realized, OK, definitely not going to med school. I'm going to pivot over to a Ph.D. Um, and so that's what I did. And so I was a academic neuroscientist for 10 years um, as a grad student um, and then as a postdoc at Harvard and MIT. Uh, and that's obviously when I sort of delved into all things human behavior and um, and really understanding people um, from kind of like a very intrinsic level. And then the sort of change from being a scientist to what I do now came really kind of in, during a life transition for me. I was um, in my mid-30s. At the time, I um, and, and things kind of just changed a lot for me. So I, I had a child, um, got divorced, and then became the breadwinner for um, my family in a very short period of time. Um, and you know, in science, science unfortunately is super fascinating, but doesn't pay well. So I was making thirty-seven thousand dollars a year <laughs> in my postdoc, and I was like, you know what? Um, I'm not sure this is going to work in the long run. And and then I was also just getting a little bit bored, I think, by the fact that the science we were doing wasn't having as much application in the real world as I had hoped. And so the combination of factors led me to um, apply to Harvard, get a fellowship, um, and, you know, go get my MBA, which is kind of, you know, and then I entered the next phase of my life, essentially. Interesting. So walk us up until um, becoming CEO and co-founding Pymetrics. Yeah, so I go to the MBA program at Harvard and, you know, felt really fortunate to have this ability to kind of, you know, hit reset and was wondering, okay, I, I love the science that I do and I really um, want to do something applied with the science. 
that I spent so long studying, but didn't really know what. And then really the first year of my MBA program gave me the proverbial light bulb idea because all I was doing was watching my classmates recruit. And I was just struck by the fact that, um, you know, recruiting was still done using resumes and coffee chats and, you know, referrals. And, and I was like, whoa, this hasn't changed at all since I was in college. And that was a while ago. Um, and it all seemed very kind of unscientific and uh, and very like, <laughs> like chickens running around without, with their heads cut off. And then at the same time, I was also, you know, experiencing a career shift myself. And I was trying to understand what would I be well suited for. And I really had never worked outside of science. So I had no idea um, what career would be best best for me. I knew I wanted to be a tech entrepreneur, but, you know, didn't see a lot of, you know, mid-30s, single mom CEOs <laughs> gracing the cover of Wired. Um, and so I was really kind of struggling with this whole career search process and also bemoaning the fact that it wasn't very objective or, or scientific. And, and that's how the idea for Pymetrics came to be. Interesting. So how did you actually decide to go for it one day? Because like you just mentioned, you had all these challenges and you didn't see other kind of female entrepreneurs yeah. uh, doing this. Yeah. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, I am um, a very passionate person. I'm very stubborn. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I think when I get impatient enough about something, I just kind of like I hit some kind of threshold and I'm like, just do it. And I think that's really what happened. I was like, you know, I, I love this idea of studying people. I love this idea of like trying to understand what makes people tick and then matching them to their ideal work because it was, you know, such a relevant topic for me. Um, so, so many people struggle with it. Um, and that's kind of where the passion for it came. And then sort of the stubbornness and, you know, sort of impatience was just like, you know, if, if not now, when, right. I mean, at, sure. the, at the, at the time I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, if I don't take the leap now, I mean, America is a wonderful place in the sense that nobody looks down on you for starting a company and failing, like really it's seen as a badge of honor. And so I thought to myself, okay, I don't have, like, this is the time to change careers. If I want to do it, no one is going to say, oh gosh, Rita, you started Penetrics and you know, in three years you had to like do something different. Like everyone's going to think that was awesome. And so, you know, again, based on my own sort of personal um, lack of patience with like, you know, the way things were and wanting to fix it. Um, and also just this idea that like, if not now, when um, I just kind of took the leap. Sure. So what it was not, a, it was not an obvious, it was not an obvious choice. My dad, who is, um, you know, very uh, traditional Italian uh, man, <laughs> basically <laughs> was like, Oh, Frida. What are you doing? Like I could just tell his light bulb was going. <laughs> oh my gosh! I sent my daughter off. You know she was going to get an MBA at Harvard and go get some nice stayed. You know I don't know consulting job. And meanwhile she's off like you know taking a plunge off the deep end. But he knew me well enough to, not to try to dissuade me. So that's awesome. So what exactly is <laughs> Pymetrics? <laughs> sure. After all this, what did you what did you invent? Pymetrics is a behavioral science and machine learning platform that helps make career matching and job finding um, both more objective and more fair. And really what we try to do is match people with their right job and in the process, um, remove some of the distortions or biases that are introduced by a number of different factors, structural bias, human bias. Um, assessment bias that really are getting in the way now of, of, of getting in the way of a couple things, getting in the way of people matching to jobs that they're really passionate about, getting in the way of everyone having the same opportunity set. I will say that, you know, in hiring, um, there's a front door and there's a back door. And quite frankly, the back door, the front door is broken. Um, and ever, a lot of people are getting into the back door. And, you know, we really need to fix it. I mean, there's a lot of concern these days about sort of income inequality and, you know, lack of diversity in the workforce. And, you know, economists even are waking up to the fact that, hey, you know, <laughs> um, this is not good for the economy, right? So we've gone from a place where economists were kind of like, yeah, as long as GDP is growing, we're all good, to a place where economists are saying, you know what, actually, all this bias and distortion, it's not good for the overall health of the economy. And I think hiring is just a massive place where we can intervene and say, you know, if people, if, if we are not matching the best qualified candidate, be they male, female, purple, you know, you know, five headed, whatever their, you know, like situation is like to the right job, we are actually doing, you know, both the person and, and society in general, a huge disservice. So that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're really trying to make the process more objective and then also give everyone um, the same opportunity. 
No, I, I love it. I, I think what you guys are doing is very, very much needed. But I, I, before we dive a bit deeper into that, you have a co-founder. How did you guys meet and how did you guys fund the first version of, of the software? Sure. Um, so my co-founder left the business a few years ago, but she was really an incredibly instrumental part of building the business. Um, so my co-founder and I met when we were postdocs at MIT. Okay. Um, she was one of the few people who was as you know impatient and uh, you know risk-taking as I in terms of actually wanting to start a company. It's it's a small set of people that you could ask. Um, and, you know, she really you know, deser- deserves all the credit for the initial building of the machine learning and, and artificial intelligence platform, because, again, I, I always joke that I'm the lowly neuroscientist of the uh, co-founding pair. Um, and, you know, and, you know, she was, you know, again, no longer with us, but, you know, very instrumental in, in building the business. No, interesting. Uh, part of the reason I ask is just a lot of people sometimes struggle with finding a co-founder. So I'm always curious to know oh, how sure. other people have, oh, totally. have met them, right? Completely, so, yeah. No, that, Completely. that's... Yeah, I met her in the lab. That's very cool. Escaped, so. <laughs> so did you guys raise some money? Did you self-fund? How, how did that come Oh, right. To you asked me about the funding. No, yeah, that's so cool. basically we, we... So we built the platform while I was still in school. And then we kind of had this idea that like if we could get one paying client by the time I graduated, we would start the business. And so that's what we did. We, we basically ended up having a client that paid us, you know, um, you know, a very small sort of friends and family round, let's say. Okay. Um, and we sort of bootstrapped um, the first 15 months. And, you know, we did all these crazy things. Like we, you know, we, we lived together. That was also our office space. You know, my daughter lived with us. It was, I call it the two women in an algorithm phase of symmetrics. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a very scrappy time when, you know, the, the couch was also the computer table. And, um, you know, we really, it was, a, you know, sort of prototypical sounding story. Um, and so, you know, we, we bootstrapped and then we kind of got to this place and kind of late, 2013 where we were like okay we could keep doing this but it would be really challenging I mean I think when you're trying to sell you know AI software to large companies they're not that excited to hear that you know they they just really want some security and and saying that you're bootstrapping the whole thing is is not necessarily conducive to that so we were very fortunate and um, were able to raise a seed round from Coastal Ventures um, in late 2013 um, based on kind of the the idea for the science-based um, you know, recruiting platform. Very cool. And you guys have been around for close to eight years now. Is that correct? No. So the, the, again, so let's not, the bootstrapping phase was when we were just trying to even see, does this even have any signal? Right. So I would exclude that entirely. So we raised outside money about six years ago. Um, and then really the first couple of years we were, you know, very small team, um, about, 10 people. And again, it was a lot of data and algorithm building. So we didn't have a product in market until 2016. So again, depends on when you think of starting the company, but, um, but the actual product has only been around for a few years because it took a number of years just to develop it, it, it properly. It just takes a while when you're building kind of like deep tech or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Okay. Well, I guess the point I was trying to get across is you guys built a, a company now where whether you want to mention brands or not is up to you. But if you go to your homepage, even you have a ton of really well-known brands that I think most people have heard of inside and outside of North America. Right. And so if you yeah. did it in less time than eight years, it's more impressive than, <laughs> oh, thanks. right. Well, thanks. Like, yeah, no, I mean, keep yeah, going. No, Sorry. It's really exciting. I mean, we definitely, no, we, we definitely have, you know, a lot of really great, um companies that are using us and i think you know i think that speaks to the fact that um so i always say like we didn't intend to be trendy but we somehow have become trendy and by trendy i don't mean that in kind of like the superficial way i just mean we're very we're very like relevant essentially if, if that makes sense sure. um and i think the reason we're relevant is because for a couple of reasons i think that people care a lot about hiring you know what they call the right people However, they define that, obviously, is, is a different question. Um, they also care a lot about diversity. I mean, we're lucky that some of our brands, um, you know, like Accenture and LinkedIn, like they are, and, you know, Workday, I mean, I think that they're some of the brands that have been sort of publicly recognized for being uh, leaders in the, in the diversity space, really, um, which is exciting to me, I think. Um, and then, you know, I think the other way in which 
again, trendy may be the wrong word, but very timely. I think the other way that, that we're very timely is obviously around the whole notion of artificial intelligence and how we should or should not use that. And I mean, I think that is probably how I spend the vast majority of my time these days is thinking about how do we design human-centered ethical AI systems? Um, it's not easy. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie, but it is critical because I think that AI is a very powerful technology, and I think that um, we are being naive to think that it couldn't also be used in ways that we don't want it to be used. Sure. Meaning, just you know, bias amplification and all the rest of it. And so, we really have to be careful. I think as technologists that we are taking all the care in the world um, to build it correctly. I think. And again, I think a lot of, I'm not a machine learning guru by any stretch of the imagination, but I think even people who really are sort of fathers of the field, um, right, Russell Stewart have, you know, gone from sort of AI evangelists to being much more like sanguine about, okay, well, you know, it's got some real potential to do good, but we also have to ward off this potential to just perpetuate a lot of the biases that we're already seeing in society. So my point is, I think the reason we have um, the, the great clients that we do is because what we're doing is very, very timely and people are really excited about the idea of using technology to reduce bias um, with the recognition that if we don't do it well, it could actually have the, the reverse effects. No, 100% agree. So how do you leverage AI for employers using uh, Pymetrics? Yeah, so Pymetrics is an enterprise software platform. Um, so we sell our technology to large employers and, or, I mean, yeah, mostly large employers and they use it as a data point in determining whether to, um, move the person along the, the hiring funnel. So we are typically used in the early stages. And that was kind of the, the insight that we had when I was in business school was that, um, look, a lot of parts of the process are not ideal. But I think the place where people are failing the most is really in that initial stage. Um, and I don't just think that we actually, there's data to support that and meaning that the bias is really strong there. Any research study that's ever been done of sending resumes um, and then looking at callback rates, like meaning how many people get interviews, have shown massive advantages for people that are Caucasian and men um, sure. over women and people of color, which is a huge problem. And then there's just a high false negative rate in meaning that um, and we saw this with some of the early work we did at HBS where, you know, people were very likely to re reject someone uh, based on a resume review. And in, in, then that person was likely to get like a full-time offer at a competitor. And it was just because the resume review pro process is so flawed. So that's kind of where we sit is at the very top of funnel, as people say. And we're really helping recruiters make a more objective decision um, as to who they pass along to interview than, than whatever process they were previously using. So think of us a little bit as like blind auditions for orchestras in the sense that, you know, blind auditions increase women participation from five to 35%. Doesn't mean that humans weren't involved. They obviously still had to listen, but sure. it helped humans. It helped blind humans to their, you know, blind the biases that, that humans have. And I think that's really critical. So I think that's a good way to think about what we do. Interesting. So, if I'm a enterprise customer, how long does it take me to get onto the platform and start using your platform to actually start hiring people? Yeah, so it is not a long process. Um, the the part, so I mean, it's sort of like any other system, like Salesforce or whatever that needs right. to be configured. Okay. Um, but I would say, meaning what I mean by that is we do what we call, um, a custom, custom modeling, which basically means that, you know, if you are a client of ours and you're looking to hire a salesperson, we don't just tell you, oh, you know, we've profiled all these salespeople and here's what they all look like. We actually, that's sort of like a rotten tomato score. It's very generic. It doesn't actually describe anyone in particular, it just describes an average. And we don't think averages are, are all that helpful. Instead, what we do is we say, okay, you know, you've got a whole bunch of sales for salespeople at your company. Let's put them through the exact same platform we would ask a candidate to go through. And sort of from that, distill the traits that are the most essential for this person. And that's kind of where the custom machine learning comes in. Um, and so that process can take, obviously takes more time than if we just said, here's a generic profile. But at the end of the day, it's just like anything else you configure for yourself. It works a lot better. Um, and it, you know, it just yields a better 
match to the things that are important um, at that company in that role rather than assuming some sort of generic generic profile. Okay. And then as an employer, how do I start collecting potential candidates for jobs? So that just happens, you know, automatically, right? If okay. you are a large employer, your challenge is usually not getting people to apply to you. Like you spend a lot of time, you know, you know, sort of working on your brand, uh, brand awareness, marketing and whatnot. And so generally these employers don't have an issue with, um, with, you know, application volume. If, if anything, it's the reverse, right? It's like, I'm having so many people apply and I just don't have enough time to, um, to, to uh, basically I'm worried that I'm not spending enough time properly vetting everyone. And so that's where we can come in and be helpful. So how do you do that? Like, do I just, all the resumes that I get to my jobs at my company.com, I, I forward to you guys or how does that yeah, collection it, take? So we're a la- yeah. So sure. So we're a layer in the HR technology stack. Okay. So what that means is, um, you know, you go to a company that's using us, you fill in the initial application and then, you know, you may, you know, maybe ask to upload your resume and then you, they will say, Oh, you know, and then please complete, um, you know, Pymetrics as a step of your application process. And gotcha. people use it differently, but generally speaking, they're using it as an additional data point to, again, give them an objective sense of how well someone would fit for that role. The other cool thing that we can do, which is really sort of changing the application process, is we can actually help match people to other roles if they're not as well suited for the initial role they applied for. So think of it as a little bit like a a sorting hat. So, you know, instead of just, you know, the typical process, which is what I saw at business school, which is I apply to a company, they, you know, most people reject over 90% of people that apply. So, you know, I apply, I get rejected, and then I'm back at square one. What we can do is say, okay, let's say that at some point you get rejected from the process. It doesn't have to be at the Pymetrics stage, it could be someplace else, because again, Pymetrics is not auto-rejecting people. But um, let's say at some point you kind of you know, transition out of that process, we can actually say, hey, you know what, I know that you didn't make it through here, but here's some other roles at that company or at other companies that would be really well suited for your, um, your profile. And again, the, the premise here is that everybody has a fit, oftentimes they have multiple fits, right? And, sure. and I think that that's kind of what we see in life, which is that, um, you know, most people have find their right fit eventually, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to find it more than once because you're not going to stay in the same career. It's just that process is so painful and so long and so inefficient and so full with rejection. And, you know, it's, it's just an awful process. That matching process really is pretty bad these days. And so why not use the power of technology to, to make that process better for people, the people that are actually seeking the jobs, right? Um, as well as obviously the companies. But I think at the end of the day, we're trying to help people find their right fit um, as well. And so this ability to rematch you to other roles, I think, is is you know, super powerful from a, from a candidate perspective. Sure. No, 100%, right? Well, and even from an employee, it's, it's almost from both sides, right? From an sure. employer standpoint and a candidate's side, sure. even if you don't, like if I'm employer X, for example, and I get, and some, some candidate gets referred to maybe a competitor or somebody in a different vertical, I might end up hiring them down the road anyway, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, look, I mean, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about this and talking about it, but I think that the traditional notion, and this is a very traditional notion um, that I think really needs to be like this paradigm needs to be completely busted up. Um, There's a traditional notion out there that there are these certain characteristics, let's say intelligence, right? That just make every, anyone who's intelligent is a good employee and anyone who's not intelligent, whatever that means is not. Um, and you know, there's a whole line of thinking around that. And, you know, there's a whole line of research around that. I actually, I'm not sure how much I believe that. I really think that it's all about like, when we start thinking about there's a thing that makes some people great and everyone else not great, we start creating a world of have and have not. And look at the way the world is now. Like we've certainly created that world of have and have not. And I think a lot of it has been around this notion of, this false dichotomy of like, there's some good characteristics and then there are all these other ones that are not good. And that's not what we see. That's not what Pymetrics sees. It's a strength-based system. All the things we measure could be adaptive for 
any number of roles. It's just a question of how they all come together, how your different you know, parts of your profile come together, and how that predisposes you to be successful or less successful at any given role. And, you know, I always say like, yeah, I'm you know, pretty good at the things I've done so far. There's a lot of things I'd be terrible at. Um, and, you know, I'm sure anyone looking at me would think, put me in the intelligent category because, you know, I test well and all the rest of it. But that doesn't mean that I'd make a great employee in many different things, right? So I just sure. really think we need to break this notion of like, there's one or three things that are like awesome for everyone to have. I, I just fundamentally, that's not what our data show. Um, and it's much more about being getting a holistic picture of someone not putting any particular characteristic on a pedestal, but really rather trying to use a strength based system to match everyone to their to their right fit. No, I 100% agree with you. It's it's funny that you bring that up because I was having this conversation yesterday actually about like the SAT uh, test. Obviously, if you do well, you're a smart person, but there there's a lot of yep. factors that if oh, you don't sure. comprehend a question properly or tests oh, freak you out or a million other reasons, you could potentially do... Or you have do, a learning disability exactly. or all sorts of things, you know? And you completely. could potentially yeah, do really completely. bad on that, but still be really smart completely. and qualified for a ton totally. of jobs, right? So it's like... I love the fact that totally. you guys basically take a bunch of different things to evaluate yeah. my skill set and other candidates' skill set to actually say, like, am I right for this job? Because at the end of the day, maybe you need somebody that's book smart and can read questions and, and do really good, or you can maybe. need the complete opposite maybe or somewhere don't. in the middle, right? <laughs> or yeah. all of the above. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, I think, and again, look, I mean, not, not getting too much in the weeds here, but, um, you know, there's a whole, the whole line of, of, you know, basically scientific inquiry that has sort of promulgated this belief that, you know, IQ is like the one thing that predicts job success everywhere, right? Sure. And again, without getting into the weeds, like, I think that, you know, there's probably some marginal validity to that. But I think that the amount that we're discounting all these other things that are probably more important than, you know, something that we call IQ I just don't, I think it's been just an inability to correctly quantify those other things. Like everyone says how hard it is to measure soft skills. Well, that's essentially what we're doing. We're trying to measure soft skills. And I think when you can do a really good job of that, then all of a sudden you find how predictive these in quote soft skills are in a way that, um, you know, I think just totally moves the, just, just totally changes the discussion around what we're looking for, what makes a good employee and so on. At the end of the day, it's less about whether IQ is or is not predictive. It's more just that we shouldn't put any one particular thing on a pedestal and say, this is the one thing everyone needs because that's the, a sure pathway for creating a world of have and have nots, you know? Sure. Well, and then you guys are using machine learning and AI to basically level that playing field, give you the data to prove what you guys are doing. Is that kind of a very absolutely. simplification of what yeah, you guys are doing? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. Which is also really actually quite fascinating because it, it to your point, then it, it gets rid of the like age, gender, religion, yep. all the stuff that Correct. you could easily judge somebody on right out of the bat. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's why we kind of, I think that the sort of blind audition metaphor um, is a good one because I think at the end of the day that that's really what we're doing right in the sense that you know it's not like when they started using curtains all of a sudden humans were out of the equation the humans still had to listen to the music and say oh yeah good music right yeah but they weren't prejudiced by their biases and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to say look use high metrics as a curtain to say don't prejudice yourself by your biases use this as a, as a way to, to take an objective look at someone well and then your AI is only getting better daily because you're getting more data. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. That's fair to say. Interesting. Definitely. So how do you guys decide and test to make sure you're not introducing new, new biases or, and trying to get rid of the, like the sure. odd ones that pop up here and there without maybe giving away your secret sauce? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think it depends on what you call a bias and I'm okay. not trying to be like no, about that. I just mean that um, let's say that to be an accountant, you really need to be detail oriented, right? Okay. Now, some people would say, well, there's a bias to detail orientation. I'll be like, no, that's a job relevant soft skill, right? <laughs> like, okay. If you're not detail oriented, you may not make a good accountant because you're like, you know, like misplacing zeros and I don't know what you're doing, right? 
Um, so again, that, that I wouldn't call a bias. That's what we would call a job relevant, uh, you know, trait essentially. Does that make sense? So we wouldn't be in the business of removing those. We'd be like trying to find those signals, right? A bias in my mind is something that is irrelevant to the job. Like, and that's why I think sort of gender, ethnicity, you know, religion, whatever those things are, um, largely speaking, seem to be highly irrelevant to whether somebody can or cannot perform a job well. And those are the types of in quotes biases that we would try to, to mitigate. Interesting. And then do you collect data on the success yes. of mm-hmm. interesting? Okay. So then you guys we collect kind of... all sorts of data. Yeah. And then do you kind of create like an ideal profile for all the different types of roles at yes. a company and then compare Correct. those roles to other roles that maybe not they're necessarily just their competitors, but all the other companies on the platform? That's exactly right. So like once you have your, once we have your profile, we can then rematch you if you are not successful in your first um, endeavor to basically any, um, any profile that we have either at that initial company or outside of that company. Um, And I think that that's just a really powerful concept as well, because again, then it's less about, I mean, I think another thing people don't generally like about technology in the hiring space is that, um, I mean, there's a lot of things. First of all, a lot of times it's black box. People hate that. Um, the second thing is, um, you know, that they may feel like, again, it's back, back to this have and have nots. Like if I can't pass a certain threshold, I'm like excluded, right? That's a, that's a very common feeling. So I think the more you can make hiring technology about connecting people with opportunity rather than limiting their access to opportunity, I think obviously the way better off you are. And that's really what we try to do is again, make this turn a hiring process into almost like a career search um, at the end of the day and really trying to find you you the right fit. Interesting. So on the candidate side, we, we've kind of covered it here and there throughout the conversation, but I, I want to dive a little mm-hmm. bit deeper into that. You mentioned it's part of the uh, submission process for a job, but you guys mm-hmm. also have yep. these, these uh, little neuroscience-based games. How do you guys come up with mm-hmm. those and, and what exactly are those? Sure. So the the science-based games um, are scientific assays or, you know, um, tools, basically, that researchers across the globe have um, developed to look at things, you know, like memory, attention, you know, planning, uh, risk, and so on. And we didn't actually develop any of those. They are tools that um, the scientific community developed. So we just um, were lucky enough to sort of piggyback off of all this work that had been done. Um, and again, this is stuff that, that we, used, we used to do in the lab, right? Sure. Um, so we con- contributed to the body of knowledge, but we didn't invent any of them. We just used them for um, to, as a new way of looking at people. And I think that it's critical to understand that that sort of new way of looking at people, new way of assessing people is actually um, really critical to the success here because I think traditional ways of looking at people have been much more have and have nots world in the sense of whether it's IQ or, you know, there's people that have tried to identify the personality traits that everyone should have to make a good employee. And so we've really gotten into these paradigms whereby there is, you know, there are the have and have nots. We've taken a much different approach. And I think that the the scientific way that we measure people is, is very, um, you know, is very, uh, very you know, it, it allows us to take a very different approach to measuring people. Um, and I think that that's just been critical to to developing a totally different way of doing this, basically. No, I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And actually, you gave some really good advice there. If, if people caught it, it's like, you didn't develop these games, you leveraged what's out there. And I think yep, so right. many people think they need to build 100% of everything themselves. And what they don't realize yep. is, there's something out there that's freely available or pretty inexpensive. Yep. You should at least yep. leverage it until you potentially need to modify it or redo it or build your own. And a lot of tech companies, and I think probably yep. um, like Uber's the perfect example that most people have heard of, at least in most parts of the world, they only built maybe 15, 20, 25% of their technology. Everything under it is like Google Maps and they use a calling service like they didn't build all that stuff. They're leveraging other people's technology. Yep. And so I just want to reiterate that because I think that's really good advice for people, especially when they're starting out, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the the way to think about it is um, that, you know, you, you, yeah, you basically, look, I, I guess the way to think about it, at least the way I thought about it is like, there's all this innovation that's happening. In our case, it was in academia, right? right? That is not, that is sort of trapped there. It's like all this air in a bubble, right? And if we can find a way to actually leverage some of that innovation to solve some very important problems, we should. And that's, I think what you're saying is that, you know, that technology has been built to solve all these different problems. And if you can find the technology that has a great, you know, use case for a solution you're, you're looking to, to, you know, build, use it. And I, and I couldn't agree more. The, the other thing that it sounds really stupid even saying it, but you guys have optimized the candidate experience for mobile, which I find some of the yeah. biggest uh, recruiters and, and job sites out there yeah. don't work at all on your phone or your tablet. And I think no, majority I know. of I know. people <laughs> are actually trying to apply for Everyone's a job on, on the couch or in yeah. between kind of balancing life, right? Like yeah no i hear you yeah i mean we try so thank you if you think that we've done that that's good no i agree and i mean i think you know more and more people do you know all sorts of things on their phone obviously um you know my 14 year old does her homework on her phone so because she uses google docs right um so yes i i couldn't agree more so we kind of have to bring enterprise tech into a a, you know mobile mobile friendly world interesting no i i 100 agree so being a female ceo and, and founder, co-founder of a company, what advice do you give to other females that want to do it as well? Because to your point earlier is there's not a lot. We need a lot more. We need a lot more diversity in in tech and and other Mm -hmm. people. As a white male, we need less white males starting companies and and being in C-level roles. Yeah. 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 Look, I mean, I think, um, look, I think starting a company period is not easy. So, um, let's just start at 100%. that, like men, women, whatever, like, unless you're a serial entrepreneur or you're just like a billionaire <laughs> and you can <laughs> yep. fund it yourself, it's, uh, it's not easy. So, um, you know, that has been said, there's lots of research showing that obviously it's harder for women, harder for people of color, you know, um, even harder. I mean, Stephanie Lampkin, um, of Blendor gave this ridiculous stat that there's like only 40 women, I think 40 African-American females who've ever raised more than a million dollars. I mean, that's, wow. that's scary. Right. Totally. So, um, so I think that the advice I would give is like that it's hard to begin with. And yes, it will be harder as all the you know data shows. However, that having been said, I think like anything else, it's, you just have to be, try to be smart about it. So I think it's really important, obviously, to, try to align yourself in whatever way you can with female advocates. There's a lot of funds out there now that um, are female only or female friendly or whatever you want to call it. And I think you should you know, leverage the hell out of them. Um, I think that, you know, it's having a good network is, is critical. Um, I do think that, you know, kind of one of the cool things about, you know, being a female founder, or at least in our case, like we've built a very diverse workforce. Like we have, you know, about 50% of the company is, so I went from making $37,000 a year to employing 140 people, about 50% of whom are, thank you, 150, I'm sorry, 50% of them are women and almost 20% are underrepresented people of color. So I think you can build a really inclusive workforce. And I think that that, um, you know, you only have to fundraise a few times. You have to go to work every single day. So if your work environment is really, um, you know, inclusive and a place where you can get, get a lot of strength from, it kind of like, you know, provides a cushion for those times you have to go out and fundraise. And, you know, fundraising is not fun for anybody. So, you know, it's good to have a strong, like, you know, you're nothing without your team. So it's just great to have like a strong team, you know, behind you. Um, um, but again, it's sort of like leveraging, you know, like-minded people, um, realizing that it's hard. And then it's just like what they say about a lot of things in life, you know, it's like not the success that defines you, but it's like how you deal with failure. And I think that that, you know, isn't, couldn't be more true here because you will like by definition fail, you know, many times, I mean, fundraising, there's way more no's than yeses. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's just, a, it's a question of having that that team that will help you pick yourself back up and encourage you in, in times of, of difficulty. hundred percent. The other thing that I think people don't realize about having um, diversity in their teams is you get different inputs on anything oh, really sure. like, and Definitely. they can say, you know, 
like I, I th this is a stupid example, but I, I think everybody can relate to it. It's it's like you take the colors red, white, and blue. If you're in North America and maybe even South America, people will be like, well, that's the colors of America. But if you're in parts right. of Europe or other parts of the world, we're like, well, that's France, right? And it's like, well, yeah, for sure. And you're talking, and there's a million of those simple examples, but it, well, sure. the point I'm trying to get across is like, if somebody comes to you and says they were born in a different country or they have a different background or whatever, and they say like, yeah. look, you know, we need to do this because we're trying to get more people in, in this vertical. If we like yeah. flip the text and they, because they read differently, we need to do that. Right. Like, and I know that's kind of a really crappy example, but if you don't think about what makes us different and cater yeah. to those differences, then you could potentially miss a whole opportunity or another part of the world because you didn't do something right. And if you never thought about it or totally did the agree. research on yeah. it, it's so yeah. like, and you're also probably missing what a huge percentage of the workforce, right? Absolutely. No, I mean, that's the whole point is I think that, and again, I mean, this is getting into a broader discussion, but sure. I think that there's so much evidence evidence now that the system is not working for most people, right? And again, I'm not anti-billionaire. I'm not anti-anything. I just think sure. that if we just look at it from a very plain perspective, there, you know, inequality has increased dramatically. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, you know, people, you know, professions like teachers who, you know, like hit one hard uh, medical bill and they're living out of their car. I mean, this is just kind of nuts in my opinion, you know what I mean? And I think that, you know, and then there's, again, this diversity problem and all sorts of, you know, challenges. So I think that we can't look at the state of the world, the state of America and say that it's working well for everybody. Um, and I do think that hiring is such a critical thing to fix because, you know, a job is an economic lifeline. Again, back to like, I was a single mom and all of a sudden became sure. the breadwinner. I was like, holy moly, like, I really need to, uh, you know, rethink what I'm doing here. And having a well-paying job is like the difference between, you know, I mean, I don't want to be too dramatic, but like life and death almost, you yeah, know, absolutely. and um, and if everyone doesn't have equal access to that, how can we possibly all this a fair society we, we honestly we can't we shouldn't and people don't have equal access i mean let's be completely let's make no like be completely clear we people do not have equal access to jobs these days they just don't you know what i mean sure. and again it's the human bias it's the structural biases they're all sorts of biases and again i'm a cognitive neuroscientist i'll tell you you're never going to fix human bias like all these unconscious bias training programs they make people feel good but actually the research has shown they don't do a darn bit of difference and sometimes they even make things worse so i 100 percent believe that we can must use technology to fix this like again it's that curtain thing like if the curtain hadn't come up we'd still be talking about five percent of women in orchestras we need technology as a blind curtain it's not the problem is not going to get fixed without it however the curtain analogy only works if the technology is actually helping and blinding the process and not making it worse. So we just have to, you know, we have to be careful. So again, huge promise for technology to fix it, but some watch outs, we really need to make sure that the technology is, is ethically designed and human, human centric. Sure. Well, and the other thing too, is ever since diversity has been kind of put into, well, I, I guess the media has been kind of covering it a lot more and the lack of it. Yeah. I've also seen where, some people just get hired. It's almost like skill set becomes irrelevant. It's just like you're yep. this type of person, so I'm gonna we're gonna hire you because we need one of those, right? And you're you become more, which can almost wreck a team too if you're just hiring people because you need like that type of person without their skill set. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Where you guys basically get rid of the the negative side of that the bias and just trying to like Absolutely. fix the problem by just like throwing a band-aid solution at it completely yeah completely i mean look this is a, a you know a hard problem to fix and i think we really have to put kind of like our best our best thinking you know forward on this but yes i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more so interesting so i'm curious what are your thoughts around the the people that are worried that AI is going to you know take over the world and take all their jobs and mm -hmm. and and all this stuff like what are your thoughts around that because you're yeah. actually I building mean, this stuff right sure I mean look I I think we have to be real about AI like in the sense that we can neither think it's this doomsday scenario but it's not a panacea either and I think we just have to be again it's all about the way that it's designed and implemented um, you know and 
you know, automation is responsible for taking away jobs in different industries. There's no, there's no doubt about it, right? I mean, sure. the data are clear on that. Um, however, automation and a more digital world is also creating a whole host of jobs that didn't even exist before. I mean, one of the coolest things I've heard recently is that apparently truck drivers make great drone pilots. So while we're going to automate truck driving, um, you know, now there's the, <laughs> there's such a thing as drone pilot, right? Which, you know, there wasn't five years ago. So again, that's a great example of like, yes, people are trying to automate truck driving, which by the way, is not apparently a very, it's a, not great profession, right? It's long hours, you're away from home, it's, sure. you get into accidents. I mean, it's whatever. Um, I've never driven a truck. That's what I hear. Um, however, like there's new stuff coming online that, that, that people with that skill set could be really good for. So I do think that, and, and again, what are we missing? We're missing that matching layer. And so 100%. a lot of people are thinking about how can we, how can we fix this? How can we create that matching layer? And I think, um, at the end of the day, I think technology can be a huge solution here. Um, so again, it's AI is a complicated thing. It's not good. It's not bad. It, it is what it is. It is definitely happening. It's not going anywhere. I don't think, um, but it can be a, it can be a solution, um, as much, if not more than it can be a problem. That's definitely what I would say. Sure. But through what you guys are doing at Pymetrics, you have the ability and the data to actually take a truck driver and turn them into a drone pilot because you have the data to say like, sure, they, yeah, they maybe absolutely. never done absolutely. this professionally, absolutely. but they have the skill That's sets right. to do that. They have right? the aptitude. That's With, right. They have the soft skills profile. Yeah. And the same, like, interestingly, we found that lawyers make great engineers, right? And you know, everyone's complaining to me, lawyers, not enough engineers. So yes, we're making all of these really interesting connections. And I think that's, that's what's critical in this day and age where like kind of reskilling is, is front and center. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because it, it makes me think of an earlier point that you brought up about it's almost not about kind of like somebody's skill set and education. It's how they apply it to their current job. And those skills right. can be applied yep. to a different job in a completely different industry. So sure, like yep. if your job potentially gets wiped out by automation, maybe you do something a lot cooler at that company or you move to another company or a different vertical yeah. because you have these yeah. skill sets, right? And you guys yeah, are basically completely. building the the data and the ability to say like, hey company, we have this person that's been doing this role for a number of years. This job doesn't really exist anymore. They would be great for this job that you have because of completely. these skill sets and yeah. the data. Yeah. Interesting, right? Like, And, and yeah. that's why I think yeah what you guys are doing is so innovative and cool. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think that reskilling is such a critical component of what we need to do um, to make the workforce work for everyone. Um, and there is a huge business case to be made for reskilling because, um, you know, again, it's, it's interesting. We focus on the, well, the media is focused on both. They focus sure. on the jobs that are getting automated away. They've also focused on all these roles that people can't find enough talent for. So there has been coverage of both sides. However, the link that we need to make is that, hey, you can actually use those people who have been, you know, sort of automated out of their current job and reskill them into new ones. And I think that's where the lack of imagination comes in. And again, not to harp too much on the resume, but, you know, when people, the problem with the resume is that it leads me and other people to think that, it is my identity like it is yeah. what I have done and therefore it's all I can do and it's extremely limiting and like you know think about it like your job goes away basically you you start to feel like you're irrelevant right and what a yeah. horrible thing to feel as opposed to if you're measuring somebody's soft skills and saying you know I know you've never done this job but you're a great fit right then people are like wow like it's very hopeful and optimistic and so again I think we need to move people it's just a it's a lack of imagination like people have many different careers hidden sure. inside of them and it's just it's sort of discovering them so well, I think the other thing too is people get bored in their industry right and they might choose oh, sure. to want to yeah. move to another career but yeah. they don't even know what that potentially would be right and they could use a Completely. tool like you guys to f help themselves figure that out for sure and that for in itself sure. has got to yep. be rewarding right because I've been in yeah. kind of tech a number a, a couple of decades now, and I understand that. And like, I've known a lot of people that have come and gone from tech, and then maybe some come back, some never come back, right? And 
Absolutely. They have to yep. go back to school, and and maybe that was a good idea. Maybe they could have just transitioned yep. to another industry. We'll never know, right? But now you guys have the data and the AI to actually back it up, and you can actually land Absolutely. them a job, yep. right? Because some people yep. don't have the option to go back to school when they're married and have kids and they're trying to pay a mortgage and other bills, right? But if they could just move Absolutely. to another industry and, and pick up, that's actually, it kind of gives them hope, right? And and a feeling completely. of being wanted. Yeah, yeah completely. interesting. Completely. And again, I mean, like, you know, not completely analogous to the situation I found myself in, but sure. somewhat analogous because, yeah. you know, when you've studied neuroscience for 10 years, it's not like you have a ton of other marketable skills, you know? <laughs> sure. So, um, you know, I mean, yes, yeah, so a lot of people can find themselves in that situation. Um, a lot of people who might not even think that they may find themselves in that situation may, may in fact do that. So, no, I 100% agree with you. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. But is there any other advice that you would like to give people out there, whether it's from starting a company or things you've learned over the years that you wish more people would knew or any other advice you have for people? Um, I don't know. You know, I think I think all I would say is that. Um, I mean, I guess it's a couple things. One is don't give up hope. I think when you lose hope whatever that might be. I think that's when it's really tough. And I think especially when you're kind of like wondering what in the world am I going to do in my world of work, it can be very hard to kind of remain hopeful if you feel like, um, you know, again, my job is being automated out of existence. Somehow I'm needing to change jobs and, and so on and so forth. And I think, um, you know, it's about retaining hope and retaining a belief that, you know, you have, you have value and that you have inherent abilities to do things and it's just a question of figuring out um what those what those things are that that we need that anyone should focus on if they find themselves in that situation perfect well frida i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the Absolutely. show so yeah thanks for having me let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh Pymetrics. Yeah, sure. You just go to pymetrics.com. It's P-Y and then metrics.com. Uh, and they can find out everything they want to know about Pymetrics there. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we can keep in touch and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.